The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Boy, do we got a lot of fun stuff going on. It is going to be just fast-paced, so many great folks to talk to. And let's go ahead and bring on that first great person to talk to, co-host this week, Elisa Rockdock. Hey, how are you, Elisa? Hello. How are we doing? I'm doing so well, and you know why I'm doing well. Because oh, yeah. you're doing well for the same reason. We're pretty yes. excited about who we're going to be talking to next, who not only is an awesome indie creator that inspired both of us, but we like him as fans. Yes. Like we're fans of what this person does. Let's go ahead and bring him in as just, he's doing a drop in here. He's an executive producer at Meadowlark Media, where he's been a leading voice on the top rated Dan Levitard show with Stu Gott's sports podcast for over a decade. Earlier this year, our guest partnered with musician and producer J.T. Daly to produce The Big Game, a musical theater album about the Super Bowl featuring the vocals of the hosts and producers of the Levitard program. The Big Game has currently been submitted for Grammy consideration for Best Musical Theater Album, and you can check out the album on all music services. We're happy to welcome Mike Ryan Ruiz on to Break the Business. Hey, Mike. Hey. Um, it took me about 20 seconds into your intro to realize you were talking about me. Because uh, I was also getting very excited to meet this guest that you guys were so excited. <laughs> this guy sounds like, awesome. <laughs> wow, the surprises keep coming. This is amazing. And then it was me. And I only piece it together after you mentioned the big game. I was like, <laughs> you still mentioned that it was our show. And I was like, hey, it could be someone. Else. It could be Billy. I, I had no idea. So thank you for that wonderful intro. And thank you for having me. Th thrilled to be talking to you. This actually isn't our first exposure to the big game and people involved with it about six months ago we had the pleasure of chatting with your producing partner on the big game project jt daly who told us all about this incredible project that you guys did i'm going to give people just a quick layout of what this undertaking was all right it was we're talking about a musical theater album project about the super bowl involving no professionally trained singers. They're just the hosts and producers of the Dan Levitar with, with Stu Gotts. And they made this album, I think JT said, in 28 days from blank sheet to fully produced album. And it, it was you and JT alongside. And now, Mike, I've worked with artists who've done album projects. I've worked with artists who've done musical theater productions. What That is usually a multi-month, multi-year undertaking. So I ask, how? How did you yeah. do this in like a month? <laughs> I, well, really, it was a month from like the conception to clearing time to putting out the uh, the final version of it and it being uploaded uh, for your enjoyment on every major streaming platform. Uh, but really, like the heart and soul and the, and the meat of the work was really done over the course of 12 days. That's where that's how long JT was in our studio and we were actually hammering this thing out. And we've put some videos out on social media. We didn't have really a recording studio. We built one out of old boxes and and try to soundproof it as best as we could. Yeah, we did this full length musical theater album in in really twelve honest, all day, all around the clock, hard days of work. We fully committed ourselves to it. There's a lot of bad traffic that we ran into, uh, even from the beach to Brickle to back again. Uh, and keep in mind that this was all being done around the time that we were covering the Super Bowl because one of the songs talks about what happened in the Super Bowl. And that was obviously the very last song that we had to write because we had to figure out what was going to happen in the Super Bowl. We were covering the Super Bowl. It's the busiest time of, uh, of the year for us on our sports calendar. So it was it was an exhausting experience, but it happened over the course of 12 days that you can't help. And, and you wonder, was that real? Was that just a fever dream? What exactly happened? It was a brutally cold studio that I'm sure JT told you about. It was bone chilling. It, it 
it tested us in in physical and mental ways. But the result is, and JT has this um, this sticker on on one of his bags. It says, "Art is hard." It was very hard. It was really difficult for us to do this. Um, also, I'm an idiot, and I don't know what I don't know about it. So I just thought, "Hey, let's do a musical," not really thinking at all about. <laughs> how to do it, how to make one and all the work that went into it. But it was really hard. And what came out of it was something that we're immensely proud of. And I think part of it is like those 12 days were nuts. How did we manage spinning this thing around? And how did we actually meet all our deadlines? And how did we write all the songs over the course of 12 days? Like we, we had had some melodies on maybe like two of the tracks. We had sent each other like rough demo versions of he's thinking of a melody and these are the lyrics that I'm thinking of, but like, I want to say 85% of the, the lyrical content and the tracks were built out over the course of, uh, of those 12 days. That's How about, sorry, go banana. ahead. Alicia. No, I, I was going to say, and it's, and it's bananas, the kind of sort of, I'm not going to say slapdashery <laughs> building the plane as we fly it ish type yeah. situations, but the result as both a football fan who literally has had to grapple with my relationship to fantasy football and the sport in general in the last few years, but also as a musical theater nerd where it's not just, oh, we're just going to tell the story of the football season in a few songs, whatever, and then that's what makes it a musical. These are distinct homages to various eras of musical theater with the exact instrumental layering that one would expect of every one of these songs from back in my day all the way to LA. And I was like, it's this really great detailed work that represents the Venn diagram. That is a circle for me of sports and musical theater, which I did not even think would <laughs> 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 be a possibility since damn Yankees. Um, I, that, that it was basically the meat of that creative happening in 12 days just blows my noodle. I, I've been told. <laughs> thank you. Uh, number one, thank you very much. It means a lot because you sound like you know what you're talking about and your hair is dyed and you have a, a cool haircut. So that must mean you, you know what you're talking about when it comes and to I have music. A PhD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I just thought that was a clever uh, rhyming. I thought you were a documentarian. No, um, no, no. I have, a, I have a PhD studying rock music games and the student loans to prove it. Oh, okay. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Big week for you. Uh, <laughs> I, I would uh, I, I would say that I've been told that uh, maybe if we settled into one genre, it would have been a lighter lift. But we decided to do all of them. Like all the ideas that we had, I'm a lover of all music, and I, I really wanted it to, to kind of spoof or pay homage. Spoof isn't the right word. Pay homage to all these different types of genres of musical theater. Uh, just because I was like a dog chasing cars. I didn't want to just pigeonhole myself into one type of style. I had a, I wanted to do something cheesy like staying alive, and I wanted to do a chorus line, and I wanted to do like Oklahoma. I wanted it all. And uh, JT, God bless his soul, he was down for – he should have told me no so many times. <laughs> and really the first, the first time that he should have told me no is – uh, you guys know from listening to our show, I'm, I'm pretty certain that uh, Reddit notwithstanding, our, our audience would have been rooting for us regardless. And we occupy this very special spot that if it's bad, it's also good. Oh, so yeah. if we came out and, and we did minimal production and we were just singing over very familiar uh, melodies that maybe if we did four songs the fans still would have liked it because all you got to do for it to spin into a win is have Greg Cody sing or Sugat sing poorly and, and you're good with our audience. But where, what I really wanted to do is like, but what if we go for it? Cause I thought that was the funniest part about this because everything that we already, already do is so geared towards making you laugh. I thought the ultimate joke would be what if we went for it and we all, sounded great and we did original pieces as opposed to some of the things that we're banning about is royalty free or mm. public domain and what if we just made all these original pieces and we actually tried to make it good the anarchist in me was like that is the funniest part about all of it and i think that that caught on with folks but there are also people that have listened to it 
not enough in my opinion, but have listened to it without a, a, a frame of reference for what the show is. And the thing is, they just straight up think it's good. They don't think it's a rib. Like they, they think <laughs> it's something that we set out to do and this is great and this is what we do for a living. And I, I also I, I really smile and get a chuckle out of that because that's what kind of kind of what we're going for. I thought that that would be the ultimate ribs if we actually made it something that we could be proud of and it was actually good. Our producer, Lauren, who has worked with many Broadway producers, has traveled the world working on musicals, is like pointing to herself in the uh, chat right now saying, I'm one of those people <laughs> who did not know about your radio show and thinks this is a legitimately good musical theater album standing solely on its own. So take from that what you will. Well, I, I'm, man, I need about 200 more Laurens. <laughs> within a certain academy <laughs> to just be made aware of this project because i i really think that um a, another way to grow the project is uh, it wouldn't be wild if it got nominated which that those conversations we we kind of were cracking jokes about it and then a couple months later people were like no this is really good people in the music industry were telling us this is really good and you should go for it and there was this tiktok musical that won last year and People that listened to it with a discerning ear really told us, you guys should go for this. This is an attainable goal. And to me, the most difficult thing that we could have possibly done was just complete the project. So now we just have this irrational confidence. It's just such a heat check. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's let's try to get nominated for stuff. And that's what the, the focus is right now. But really, it's just a, a, a genuine effort to get people more familiar with something that we're very proud of. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because I do find this piece of it fascinating. And because you know, Elisa and I both very, are very uh, fastidious followers of the Grammys and are obsessed with it. And when word. this album when this album came out, I, I thought this is a great musical theater project, but there's no universe where this like could win the Grammy for like a best musical theater album. Not because I don't love it. But just because that category historically for up until last year was reserved for the Andrew Lloyd Webbers, the established Broadway composers that have staged their shows on the Great White Way. And then, as you mentioned, Mike, last year, the unofficial Bridgerton musical created by two TikTokers, independent musicians, Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear, a album that they basically crowdsourced with their friends on TikTok never staged on a Broadway stage. It was completely a musical project on an, on an album like yours is. And it beat out Andrew Lloyd Webber, Burt Bacharach, and Stephen Schwartz for the Grammy for Best Musical Theater album last year, at which point I went, okay, the rules have changed now. The music industry is different and a ambitious, different project like The Big Game, I feel like, you know, could have some potential. That was the worst possible thing that could have happened was giving that... <laughs> <laughs> that that album the award because it made us think that okay this is legit and then you do some digging and you realize oh the people behind this actually have a lot of connections <laughs> and they if anybody was going to come from the outside and be this underdog story it would be that with all their connections and the fact that we were still kind of in a pandemic and there was a really live actual musical theater that was making art or at least all that that much so that was going to be an outlier year and they were going to do something funky with it but we had the real internal debate, Ryan and Alyssa, to enter this into if we were going to do a consideration push, why not a comedy album? Because it's a it's a it's a comedy album. Really, I'm just my goal was to make it good, but really I just wanted to make you laugh. I wanted to make you laugh by it being good. It's a, it's a comedy album, and wouldn't that I I didn't want to enter into musical theater because those are great professional musicians that work really hard and long on these projects like you said sometimes over the course of several years but if you look at the history when it comes to the comedy album winners it's like okay i gotta go up against dave chappelle i'm like <laughs> i'll take my i'll take my chances with tiktok and so we uh, after consultant folks and 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 really listening to people that um had some opinions as to if we were actually going to get critical acclaim and maybe this crazy scenario in which a, there would be award consideration, that would be the path. So we went for it. And as of a couple of weeks ago, we formally submitted it. And 
voters have an opportunity to be made aware of it and if they think it's good on the merit and that's what i'm looking for here i'm not looking for anybody to make a stand i want it to get attention because it's genuinely good jt is such an unbelievable talent for him to be doing that off of his computer in 12 days in torturous cold frigid conditions with me <laughs> being like yeah i'll get you that song in a couple hours like never really doing it insane as as the sound of the show is going off and uh, like all around him and he's just locked in on his airpods basically just editing this entire hugely ambitious project and working with a bunch of sports radio hosts as your principal vocalists who are not professional singers and, you know some to, to to be fair some of the folks who work on the Dan Lebertard show are decent singers great. Are, are are great. Like we, I think Elisa and I were both pretty big Jessica Smetana fans. Uh, yeah, and what, she what she brings in terms of vocal stylings, but there's a whole lot of folks on that show where I'm sure JT Daly had to you know work some studio magic for sure. Well, JT, it's it actually kind of jaded me a little bit about the just the state of the music industry because <laughs> people would just have these terrible, god awful, painful takes, and producers are just looking for different things right now. He's like, all right, that was perfect. Let's do it one more time. But I could use a lot of that. I'm like, how can you lose? How could you possibly? And the amount of <laughs> surgery that <laughs> you can do on a track these days is insane. I don't know if I should say that, but look, we're not good singers. The fact that it came out good, that it's is the pure, miracle. Though. That's that's yeah. like the pure thing is that you're having like the actual voices of the people that are embroiled in the sports industry and grappling with these things. I think that's wonderful and novel. He's just looking for a great delivery, some of this, a take that's believable, and through the production process, he can make that good. This project, it, it, look, this would never have been possible without JT saying yes to something he should have said no to. He should, like even even if it, if we have the pipe dream scenario, only then would it be like, okay, you were kind of right in sidelining your life for a little bit in taking on this project he did it because he liked our show and he wanted to do something that really excited him and the fact that we were idiots uh, around it not really knowing how hard it would be was probably a, a, a fun enough departure for him over the course of, of two weeks to, to take a chance on it and i know i'm really flattered because i know exactly how good that that dude is i know who he's working with right now and the fact that he spent two weeks in a cubicle listening to Sugat's yell at the top of his lungs. <laughs> he deserves a lifetime achievement award just for that. Well, I want to talk to you about something else that I think made this album possible. Whereas if this wasn't the case, it wouldn't have been. And I think it's Meadowlark's status mm. as independent creators. So break the business. Mike is a, is a celebration of independent creators. We've been doing this for five years. We, we love just hyping up folks who are doing it their own way. And you weren't always independent up until about two years ago, you guys were under ESPN and you had all the benefits of working with ESPN, but also some of the constraints. And all I could think about when this project came out was I can just imagine if these guys were still working for ESPN and Mike has to go to the president of ESPN and say, I want to do a musical theater project. Just the layers of red tape you'd have to go through. Like, it wouldn't have happened, right? It wouldn't have happened. It, it, it wouldn't have been allowed to live at ESPN. It wouldn't have gotten to the president of ESPN. It would have been <laughs> shot down the second I emailed Liam, like, hey, I got this crazy idea. The fact that it, that we were with Metal Arc and, once again, not knowing what we didn't know, it's just we started this whole, this whole company in the event that we did have a kooky, crazy idea to not just get to not run into a culture of no it got to the point over mm. espn and i i harbor no ill will it's a factory it's obviously wildly successful they know what they're doing but people were saying no to stuff over there that they didn't even really know why it was just like that's that was just the initial reaction to everything is just no you work from no and you see what kind of yes mm. that you can get i put it in the slack like what if we did this segment on the real origins of how the big came the big game came to be was we did this segment with Sam Van Gundy where we uh, just started invoking his name into classic holiday hymns and it was all done improv and, and live and uh, if it was it went really well our show as you know from listening to it is kind of musical in nature we did a lot more parody songs but we'll just we'll often break out into song 
quite randomly and it was well received and i just put in the slack like all right guys what if we broke down the super bowl but as a musical and nobody said no that's a dummy uh that's a dumb idea not a single person everyone was like yeah let's go for it and i was kind of like well this is a challenge i was just wondering i i I just was wondering aloud and assumed that logic, someone would apply some logic and said, no, but I didn't run into a no. And that was a very indie spirit that our company displayed. And I had to figure it out from there. And every time I figured more stuff out and I realized I needed to get a producer on board, surely the no would come at some point because <laughs> this defies all logic. And the no never came. I was met with support and... A company that just let me follow my curiosities and I'm eternally grateful that they afforded me that one very strange month to to, <laughs> to do this. Uh, it, very indie spirit, very indie spirit and kind of what we were looking for. It was obviously a, a hard split up for everybody in leaving Disney slash ESPN, but it was pretty refreshing to just run into a situation where everybody was like, yeah, go for it. That sounds like a great idea. I hadn't been really working with that. Or I, if I had, I had to work with it under certain parameters and realize that the support wasn't really going to come and I had to make the most of it. This That independent spirit allowed for this to sound a lot bigger than it was, which is really just two guys freezing in a cold studio, torturing themselves over the course of 12 months and coming out with something that was probably eight genres too long. Uh, and. <laughs> Oh. And, and it made you, and hopefully it made you laugh and made you smile. And and I really hope that people got the ambition out of it, because I think if people familiarize themselves with the story behind it, we put out some BTS videos so you can see exactly like how kooky the the setup was. But it it in no way should have ever existed. And not only did it exist, but it flourished. And for one hot day, it was number one on iTunes at the dethroning Canto. And it charted on the Billboard charts. It, it was seventy seventh on the on on uh, on the Billboard charts. It was a yeah a, yeah. That's a tooting. That's a horn tooting. I'm tooting my own horn right there. Thank you for tooting my horn, Ryan. Uh, it was it was a hugely successful endeavor for what it is. And now I just want to see this entire journey through, and hopefully, people can consider it for stuff. Yeah. Well, congratulations for not just getting that project out there, but just what that pro for what that project represents in terms of you being able to follow your creative passion as indie creators where the only metric by which you do something is do we think this would be cool to do yes then it gets done there's no other approvals there's no other red tape there's no bureaucracy that's the kind of stuff we like to see and that we like to celebrate around here so we're thrilled not just for you but you know elisa and i are personally thrilled just seeing something like this come out of miami so many like Miami has always been historically such a great proving ground for so many different kinds of arts, but so often we see those great talented folks leave once they achieve yeah. some measure of fame. And you guys always stayed. You know, I know Dan Levitard, the host of your show, has been insistent on that. Like the ESPN always tried to move him to New York or mm -hmm. something. And he said, the only way I'm doing the show is right here in Miami. And these two Miamians very much appreciate yes. you keeping it local. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, to personal and professional detriment that we probably eschewed <laughs> uh, overtures from other places and the show probably would have grown at a more rapid pace and individuals uh, would have been more financially secure if they made certain moves. But at the heart of it, we realized that this was uh, a different situation here. You had a loyalty with Dan that you couldn't put a price on and you had someone that valued this town and making art in this town so much that you felt like if that main character of the show Miami were to ever change it just flatly wouldn't be the same kind of show and Dan has done such a great natural job of making Miami characters in the art that he creates and um, we're very Miami our show is very Miami when it comes to the local hour but it permeates throughout the entirety of the show I can't envision doing any type of content that's similar to the art that I've been creating over the over the last 20 years that doesn't have a tether to Miami because it's like take the Miami out of burrito take the Miami out of Gloria Stefan not to put myself in those classes but it's just I don't 
I know this one way of doing it. And it is so influenced by what is around me. And that stuff that's around me isn't around me in Connecticut. It just isn't. I have to be here. This is my muse. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something about Miami that is just like it, the, the attitude and it's just like a different flavor. And it just, especially the way that you talk about sports and just generally like not taking things so seriously, especially just literally being surrounded by the Clevelander as someone who's played the Clevelander (laughs) pool before you are literally surrounded by the absurd on an everyday basis. So it's like, how can you take even something like sports seriously? Like it's all about play on the show and you're surrounded by play and sports are about play. You created a play. (laughs) Yeah. My, uh, yeah. Miami is very irreverent about sports. So naturally, our show became irreverent about sports, and it, it we took that irreverent approach to musical theater because if we were in any way reverential, I'm a huge fan of the art form, but if I were as reverential as I thought I would be, I would flatly not do it because it's it's pretty <laughs> insulting to the to the art form, really, just conceptually it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's one of the, the none of us could exist artistically if we were in a different place, it's just so tied up in our, in our identities at this point, which for better or worse, right? Well, that insult to the art form of which Mike Ryan Ruiz speaks is called the big game. You can check it out on all streaming and downloading services. It really is a joy to listen to. We've been listening to it on continuous loop for you know five months now, and it's been a treat. We really appreciate your time and, and hanging with us, Mike. Elisa, do you want to give them the last question? Sure. This is usually reserved for conventional guests as opposed to drop-ins, but I feel like we would be doing the audience a disservice by not getting Mike to answer this question. Right. So, Mike, thank you for hanging out with us. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to move their careers forward? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I really do. Uh it is a very difficult business. Show business is very difficult, whether it be sports radio or the music industry. Um, everybody wants to do it, right? But if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And I liken it to a branch with a million ants on it, and the industries themselves just do whatever they can in their power to shake everybody off of that branch, mm-hmm. be it broken promises or difficult working conditions, um, impossible hours. You name it, you've been thrown uh, thrown through the loop by the industry, whether it be last call playing at a Clevelander pool. This is not, and I, when I was envisioning my art, this wasn't where my journey was supposed to take me. And you make some concessions that artistically you don't feel great about as a means to just put stuff out there. Along the way, I was lucky enough to run into someone that I knew I could trust completely in Dan. Mm. And when you find someone like that, Hold them near and dear, whether uh, there's people like Dan in every sort of industry, but it is especially rare to have someone that can be honest with you when it comes to feedback, someone that will have your back and someone that um, will take heed for you in certain respects. Whenever you come across someone that has that special loyalty, that otherworldly loyalty, you keep it in your life as long as you possibly can, because in these industries that everybody wants in at, it's almost as if people take advantage of the fact that it's such a desirable job that um, they use your own passion for it against you. So find yourself good people. You'll know them when you see them and trust them. And I realize I've seen a lot of behind the music episodes where people did and it went totally (laughs) sideways. But thankfully for me, uh, it's worked out so far. Right on. This has been awesome. Thanks very much for your time, Mike. Best of luck with whatever consideration uh, needs to happen for the album project going forward. And we're certainly wishing you the best. We'll be right back on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. 
Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, you lovely humans. You can check us out on all major podcast platforms, on live streaming platforms such as Twitch and YouTube Live and Facebook Live, and now on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn has led us into their into their little cathedral. I can't believe it. You can also check us out on Sirius XM 145. Much love to Slam Radio for giving us a satellite radio home that we very, very much enjoyed. Our guest, uh, our thanks, I should say, to Mike Ryan Ruiz for joining us in the previous segment, doing a little drop-in. I thought he was only going to hang out with us for like a couple minutes. The fact that he gave us so much of his time, super, super grateful. Check out the big game. Let you know He showed us some love. Let's show him some love. Get you know, Listen to the big game. Download the big game. If you're a Grammy voter, consider the big game for things that you might want to give consideration to. Just saying. Producer Lauren, let me chat with you for a bit before we bring in our guest for this week. I like that. Consider it. I, well, he, the whole interview, he was like, I can't say, you know, nominate us for this award. So right. I, I assume there's some rules about that. So we're trying to be a little coy. If you find that this album is meritorious, perhaps you will consider it for various plaudits up to and including but not limited to a grammy award if 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 you feel so inclined is that you i think i think to know anybody who's done anything that's in right. the entertainment industry you know what how about just tell anybody like we there don't even go. have to talk to, to industry people just tell everybody you know to listen to big game the musical and uh, let's get the word out there for him. They're so wonderful. We want this to happen because, yeah. again, the folks at Levitard Show are awesome. And, and as Miamians, I love that something this cool, this amazing number one rated sports podcast came out of Miami, stayed in Miami, and takes such amazing creative swings as independent creators. One of the things that he said in the interview, Lauren, that I loved, he was talking about kind of what inspired them to make this project, like take this big swing. And it was the idea that they didn't know what they didn't know. This right. project happened, one, because they were independent creators and they didn't have any constraints in their way. There was no big content company like ESPN to squelch the project before it ever got off the ground. But also they had ignorance, which <laughs> I think for an independent creator is one of the most valuable things they can have. There is nothing more powerful in this industry than an indie creator who doesn't know what they don't know, who does not realize that they are biting off way more than they can chew because that's how beautiful art happens. But also has the willingness to learn. Yeah. So, you know, you don't know what you're getting into. And he said, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I just went ahead and started. But when he didn't know something, he said, and then I had to learn to do this and I had to learn to do that. And I think that's an important lesson for all of the indie creators out there is, whether you know how to do it or not, we live in a world where you can look stuff up and learn it. And if there's something uh, you're struggling at, either find someone else to help you with it or learn to do it because you have the resources now, which is just crazy. You're so right about that. I got another cool creator for us to talk about, Lauren. A quick callback from last week's episode. Our dear friend, Down Upright, Bill Bolden. Last week, they talked about their most recent project, We're Doomed, We're Dancing, which was their Kickstarter campaign. It was a 60-song album of tracks. Every track is 60 seconds. Every 60 seconds, the album changes vocalists. It changes genres. It's like this crazy, frenetic, rapid-fire album that Bill is kickstarting. And 
I'm happy to announce that the project has already received full funding. So I I hope that so our it's podcast happening. that's what yeah, that means. Once it, it is happening. happening. Got to do it. I'm hope yeah yeah he's stuck with him now. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. I I hope that our podcast in a small way the promotion we gave Bill's project helped get it over the finish line. I can tell you that our podcast personally helped get it over the finish line because in between the commercial break, I was actually in the Kickstarter. And we have, we funded a piece of Bill's project. We put in $100 on behalf of the Break the Business podcast to get the top tier reward for Bill's album because the, because I could not resist the top tier award. The top tier award is you get to work with Bill to basically curate one of the 60 tracks. You get to decide what the genre is, what the concept is. So as a podcast, we're all going to decide together what one of these tracks on this album is going to be. So email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com with your suggestions. Yes, breakthebusiness at gmail.com as I went ahead and jumped into that one. Uh, (laughs) Any ideas, any thoughts bouncing around your head of of what you might want to have him do with us? Well, two things are floating in my head as we bring this up. One, because of the Mike Ryan Ruiz interview, I can't help but think Broadway show stopper would be cool. Yeah. Well, like something cool and ambitious, like maybe (laughs) maybe an homage to the great musicals of the golden age, your your 42nd streets, your anything goes is 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 that might be fun. But personally, if you want, like, maybe if I want to, if you just want to make this all about me, which as we know on this program, one Mm -hmm. of my favorite things to do, maybe like some kind of indie pop kind of thing, a death cab for cutie, postal service, magnetic feel, something, something kind of indie poppy might, would make me personally happy. But I mean, obviously this show is at its best when I'm not happy and instead I'm (laughs) flustered and annoyed. So maybe the listeners want something different. And, you know, I don't just want this to be about me. I want the listeners to communicate their feedback and then we're going to take it to Bill and we're going to have one break the business track on the We're Doomed, We're Dancing project. And I'm excited for that. What do you think Metal Dave would vote for? Um, (laughs) Soft rock, maybe something new agey like Kenny G. Exactly. Now he's going to want metal. Now we have to call Metal Dave and tell him he has to get his own song. If he's not going to be here with us, he can't have our song. It's a 60-second track. Maybe we can convince Bill to do like four 15-second segments of four completely different genres. 15 (laughs) seconds. Broadway. 60 different songs with 60 different themes isn't enough for you. So you want him to turn your 160th of this album into four things. Only because it would be awesome. First 15 <laughs> seconds, golden age of Broadway. Second 15 seconds, really sad indie pop, Ben Gibbard type stuff. Then we go right into Metal Dave. Dun, 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 dun. And then the fourth 15 seconds, we'll figure it out. We have to have like a big Broadway show tune ending. Da, da, oh. da, da. Yeah, nice, a nice Ooh. little closer. You know, get, get the whole cast applause. out there. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Ah, but... To the now missions, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest waiting for us backstage, and I'm so excited to get to talk to him. I'm excited for this guest. This is so, so cool. I, God, we're just, we're really, we're really bringing it this week for the viewers and listeners, some great folks to talk to. Let's go ahead and talk to our guest this week. He is the chief commercial officer of Light, a reservations technology platform that has developed a live ticketing solution that allows for refundable and risk-free tickets for concert goers that also provides solutions to combat bots and scalpers. Thank God. Thank you can find you, out yeah. more about our guest and his work by visiting light.com and lawrenceperrier.com. We are happy to welcome Lawrence Perrier on to Break the Business. Hello, Lawrence. Hey, how are you, Ryan and Doing- Lauren? Nice to meet you both. Oh, it's very much a pleasure. This is so, so cool. As you could tell from my intro of you, I'm already happy that you are dedicating even a part of your life to ridding the world of the scourge that is bots, which is like just just single-handedly trying to ruin the music industry. So we appreciate the work you're doing there. And I want to talk to you all about the Light Platform. But before we do that, I would be doing the audience a disservice if we didn't talk a little bit about your background, because I have found out that you used to tour with the Rolling Stones. I can imagine you may have a non-zero number of cool stories from (laughs) your time with the Stones. 
can you can you give us like one nugget? Is there anything that you're allowed to say like that you won't get in trouble with? Or maybe give us the ones that you're allowed to get in trouble with. That would be even better. Like Ruin your career. Yeah, I could pretend it's just the three of us here on the, uh, That's right. on the screen. You know, it's uh, it's funny because when you were doing your intro, you were talking about how you had this great guest backstage. And I thought, is there somebody else here? I didn't know who you were talking about. And then it's you, the second you person to make that joke this hey, show. Hey, I know. <laughs> Nobody thinks we're talking about them. <laughs> uh, I think you need guests with, with more self-esteem, but, um, you know, it's and uh, hosts, but that's another story. The, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because, um, you know, you don't want to pop anybody's idea of the mythology, but I think as a lot of people know, the, you know, the modern touring business is just that it's a business and the stakes are very high and there's, um, a lot at risk and a lot on the table at all times in terms of the dollar amounts and um the numbers of fans that get performed in front of over the course of a of a tour and so there's probably a higher degree of good behavior than anybody really would want to believe oh so um yeah i might have to make up some stories to make it sound as as sexy as it is but i will say this as a fan and as a lifelong stones fan they were the first band I ever really came across. I was a very, very young child when I was first turned on to them. And um, the opening, the night before the opening night of the first tour I worked on, um, they did the full production rehearsal in uh, in Gillette Stadium, Gillette Field. Wow. Basically an empty stadium. You know, the crew, some of the hangers on, um, a bonehead like me who somehow found himself there. And seeing the band do that, in that environment um it was incredible it was just such an amazing thing and then to you know over the years to see sound checks and to see them in different venues and that's the stuff that as a fan um i can't believe that i ever got to do and that i never take for granted and that i love every time i get to experience it lawrence that's an unbelievable story i love that you have taken us there and i can just imagine sort of being in a stadium with my favorite artist and knowing that I work with them and thinking to myself, wow, how did I get here? Pinch me. But you dodged my very important question. You are not going to ever convince me that the Rolling Stones are just like doing this, are just like living this very bland life on tour. You're not going to convince me. Oh yeah. Uh, Keith Richards, he finishes up his show, has a glass of warm milk straight to bed. Come on. It's Come a lot on. of touring. Do you know how long tours are? <laughs> You don't get invited back if you if you if you tell those kinds of stories. You make it halfway through the tour if you live the way you think they do. They don't. <laughs> I I mean I think that's the that, that's what we got to do here, Lauren. We're gonna bring Lawrence back like two or three times. He's gonna he's gonna get, get to know us better, get comfortable. He'll let a story slip. Just one, one yeah, of the just, not zero stories. All we want is just one story of Keith doing something that we would know Keith does. Actually, because... you know, I, I can tell you one that's it's relatively safe, but it, it's funny as hell, and it and it it uh, it sort of it's it it does encapsulate it, and it and it's yes. not telling anything inappropriate. The first time um, that I met Keith um, was at a stone show, I think maybe in Toronto, although I don't remember which city it was, may have been Boston. Um, and a friend of mine, a friend of ours, who's, re who's, who's now deceased, um, said, come on, you know, have you, did you meet Keith yet? And I hadn't. And she said, come on, let's go. And, you know, the band members each have their, their own lounges. I think as, as most fans um, know at this point, and, um, Keith and Ronnie had a, a like a snooker room where they would warm up before the the shows and they would you know they'd play snooker. Um, and oh, know, that's not like a euphemism for something. <laughs> no, no, easy there, man. I easy don't there. feel. I'm, I'm sorry. trying to share. I don't feel. You know what? I'm I'm gonna mute my mic for two minutes. I that was that. No, I don't feel good about that. I'm I'm sorry, Lawrence. I'm sorry. It's this okay. is a kid. This is a right. children's show. Sorry, yeah. There's no no euphemism, or maybe it is. So <laughs> I go into the room. And Keith and Ronnie are in there playing snooker and they're both uh, wearing. The, and so they had their arms around each other when I walked in the room and they were wearing T-shirts that said, I'm with stupid with arrows pointing at each other. And uh, that right there uh, sets the tone and encapsulates um, what they're about. Like they're funny people. They are um, engaged people with each other, with the audience. Um, I mean, even now you can't go see the stones now 
and leave disappointed unless you're the kind of person that likes to find fault and likes to stand there and, 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 you know, and begrudge. Um, but you know, they've been doing it for so long and people say, Oh, how can they still do it? It can't be about the money. It can't be about this. It can't be about that. Go see them. It's, it's, they deliver every time and it's what they do. And like, what, what artist would stop doing that? Why would you stop doing that if you could still do it at that level? Um, so it's incredible. They're, they're, they're an incredible, incredible phenomenon. And we're lucky to like live they still in enjoy, their lifetime. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like they still enjoy working with each other too, which isn't. I mean, I can't say, yet. you know, I, I can't, I can't speak for what goes on <laughs> in their hearts and what goes on in their, in their, in their private conversations that's not hey, part of my get world. on stage and and believe it that's good enough for me really that's right and that's <laughs> all we're owed really as fans really. right that's yeah. all we're owed they they come out and they deliver and they do the thing that that they're there to do and they do it at a very high level that's amazing yeah lawrence you're being a really good sport with us and we appreciate that and i i well very much Bring want to on, talk right. about light your the solution that your company is offering for live ticketing to make it to make the you know technology of live ticketing and reservations better but before we talk about the solution i want you to give us a little bit of background on the problem you're solving tell us a bit about why technology and how technology has made ticketing so terrible like yeah. bots resellers convenience fees non-refundable tickets oh my favorite artist is is uh you know, going on tour, let me log on to the ticketing website. Oh, everything's already been instantaneously bought out by a computer algorithm. And now I have to pay 10 times as much for the tickets. How did we let this happen? Can you give us a little bit of the background on like the history of crappy technology with ticketing? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you the short. There is a very short answer. And then we could, we could expand from there if you'd like. The short answer is all that online ticketing has done is that it digitized the way ticketing always was. Mm. So you stood in line and now you wait in the waiting room. There were brokers in your town or your city or your region who paid 30 people to stand in line the day of the on sale. And now they use technology or they use a dorm full of college kids with burner credit cards. Um, there's no, you know, it's a line I use a lot, but We've been selling tickets online for a generation now. It's been almost 30 years, but we've never had true e-commerce, right? When you think about e-commerce, you think about shopping and shopping is social. It's engaging. It can be fun and you browse and you look around and you have uh, serendipity and you go in to buy one thing and you might leave with something else. It might be something you do with a friend, um, but it's, it's, it's shopping. It's not buying. You buy tickets. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I'm going to go online and shop for tickets. <laughs> yeah. They go online to buy tickets. It's very transactional. It's very one way in nature. And it's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Get out if you can. And um, so I think that that's, that's all in the air when we talk about the needs that fans and consumers have around a different way to shop for tickets online. Cool. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective because right, I, I'm I'm sort of looking at it with modern bias where I'm like, man, technology has really ruined concert ticketing. And what you're providing with your perspective of you know working in live music for so long is no, we've always had these problems. Technology has perhaps amplified them, has made them more visible, has expanded them. But you know, whereas technology has made this problem perhaps worse, light has stepped up and is saying we can now use technology to solve some of these problems and really fulfill the promise of what we think online ticketing can be. So can you tell us about one of the ways that light tries to fix some of these problems in concert ticketing that is just, that are just driving fans crazy? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you the, the, the philosophical answer, and then I'll give you a couple of nuts and bolts examples. But the philosophical answer is that we want to make it easier to get access to tickets and make it easier to transact the tickets if life gets in the way. So that's sort of the meta level. That's what we're trying to do. So one feature of our platform um, is a reservation platform. When you think about when you buy airline tickets, um, you actually go and book a reservation. You don't finish the transaction and get a ticket instantly. You have a reservation. 
Now, almost 100% of the time, you get the ticket you bought. You don't go think about it. Like you don't think, oh, my reservation might not be a ticket. You go and book a hotel room, you rent a car, you make plans when you're in that city. But really what you've done is you've reserved a place on that airplane and you get your ticket later, closer to when you actually need it. So one of the things we have is a reservation platform where you can make reservations for tickets and then the promoter and the business people can make some educated decisions about when to fulfill those orders and when to actually issue tickets. And so instead of, say, taking the morning off from work and figuring out with your friends how to go to an on sale and compete with the bots and compete with other fans, you go in, you place a reservation and you go about your life. 10 a.m. on Friday, instead of going and fighting with other fans, you just get a confirmation that says, hey, your reservation has been confirmed. You're going to get your ticket, you know, X date, X time, or don't even worry about it. You're, you know, and your ticket just arrives. So that's, that's one example of using e-commerce principles to make the ticket buying experience more modern, more fan friendly. Um, the other would be the, 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 the concept of returnability that you mentioned before. Um, you know, uh, this is a video podcast, so you can see I'm of a certain age. And I have um, 40 years worth of ticket stubs actually right here in my room. And there are different shapes and sizes and different ticketing companies, but they all say a few things in common for 40 years. No refunds and no exchanges. That's the one consistent thing on all my ticket stubs. And why is that? Well, the, the, the industry is set up to be, like I said earlier, one way. I'm a promoter. I take a lot of risk. I've put a lot of capital at risk. I've paid the artist. I've booked the room. I've taken out marketing. I just want to sell those tickets. And when I sell them, I don't ever want to see them ever again. <laughs> I'm yeah. very happy that they're gone. But that's not really right for a fan, especially in this day and age when tickets go on sale, in some cases, a year before the event. If you know where you're going to be a year ago from today, my hat's off to you. But plenty of people in the real world buy tickets all the time and they eat them. They don't end up selling them because they don't think of themselves as amateur ticket sellers. Life gets in the way. The babysitter cancels. They lose their job, whatever it is. And tickets go unused. And so even a sold out show, if you talk to concert promoters and people that run venues, you might see 80, 85, 90% of a drop count of people actually walk through the door. Where did those people go? And what could we do with those tickets if we could just have them back? Um, when we think about the experience, if you're a performing artist, you want to play to a full room. If you're a fan, you want to be in an energetic environment. And, you know, if you're the person that took the risk on the show, you want to sell more beer, more popcorn, more T-shirts, more parking. So that notion of let's bring the tickets back into the ecosystem. Let's make it. Maybe we want them back. Maybe I have a 1000 seat venue, but I could actually sell 1200 tickets and I didn't have to move a wall. I didn't have to do a renovation. I didn't have to add another seat. There's actually 1,200 transactions out there for my 1,000-seat room, and I'm not seeing those other 200. They're going somewhere else. There's a lot of fraud. There's I have no control. I don't get the data. So we're trying to align the interests of the industry and the fan, bring it all back into a safe ecosystem. So those those are at, at, at sort of the heart of what we're trying to do. I love it. And on the artist side of the ledger, from what I've read here, one of the benefits of a reservation system is it allows an artist and their team to kind of plan out a tour to see where the interest is. What cities are we getting a lot of interest? What times of year are we seeing different geographic areas say we want you to come to our town? And that's valuable information. That's great data for an artist that they can use to plan their tour out effectively. Can you talk a little bit about that dimension of the platform? Yeah, this was interesting because uh, it initially emerged during the pandemic. I, I suspect we would have gotten here anyway. But what happened, um, what became more acute during the pandemic was that a lot of artists who were, say, developing or emerging or had been at a certain career level really started to pop during the pandemic. Streaming numbers went up, social media engagement went up, um, and people who were on the business side who were responsible for planning tours, say agents, artist managers, they actually, it messed with their, with their demand signal. Um, you know, social media and streaming numbers weren't great indicators of actual fan intent pre-pandemic. 
it's too easy to add a song you like to a playlist and play it over and over or to click a like or a follow button. You don't know if those people are actually going to turn into ticket buyers, but it became so much worse during the pandemic when consumption increased and people were interacting more with artists online. And so those already bad data signal points were made much worse. And so we started to hear from people um, saying, can't we use the reservation platform even earlier in our planning process? Like where are our fans and how many of them are there now? And will they put down their credit card to make a reservation? And if so, that's a good demand signal. Now it tells us how many people are actually ready to buy. Um, maybe it'll tell us how many nights we could do in a city or what size venue to play. Um, or maybe I should go to places where I wouldn't have gone intuitively because I didn't know that I could play Israel or South America or what have you. So it's a very powerful notion for, for an artist. I can definitely appreciate that. And I love any kind of, you know, we have a lot of folks who come on this program with different solutions for artists. I love the ones that come here and it's somewhere in their attributes of their platform. There's a data element because right now yeah. data is gold for artists. It's often hard to come by if you are an indie creator and you don't have a ton of resources so anybody who has a platform that has a the prospect of providing data for artists baked into the platform, especially in an area like touring and live performances, that is such a critical revenue stream for so many musicians. I dig that a lot. That's really, really fantastic. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting light.com and lawrenceperrier.com. Our guest is Lawrence Perrier, the chief commercial officer of Light, the reservations technology platform. Before we let you go, Lawrence, um, two things, two things that we want you to do. First, do you happen to have any cool ticket stubs in front of you? Like, is there anything like, is there anything within your arms reach where you're like, man, that's a cool ticket stub that you can hold up in front of the camera and really blow us away? I know oh, this is well, like completely unplanned. You know, I have more recent ones in front of me, so I don't know how cool they are. The good ones are back there. The older ones are back there. Oh, here's something that's cool. Oh, yeah. From his final tour. I don't know if you could see that. Who is it backstage with who? Uh, Tom Petty. Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Man, Lawrence has come to play, y'all. Damn. I don't There's some it's cool like stuff. Right? I've been to a few. Woo. He yeah, is we'll give you, uh, bringing we'll give the you one fire. More. We'll give you one more and then we'll, we'll turn my ego down. Oh my God. <laughs> Like you skip it. Yeah, this is an original ticket stub from uh, Romeo and Juliet at the Globe Theater in Shakespeare's time. Oh, there's time. the Stones, 2019. Oh man, very very cool. Uh, I mean, we right. could play this game That's all day. Pre-pandemic, uh, yeah. right there. <laughs> I'm officially right. impressed. Okay, one other thing before we let you go, equally important. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah, you know, I knew you were going to ask me this question, and uh, it's it's a. Uh, to me, the most important thing, I, I, I guess it's for any artist, but maybe it's most acute for an indie creator, which is you really have to understand your aspiration. I think that that will drive a lot of your other choices um, because indie doesn't mean any one thing as listeners um, and viewers of your, of your show know. Um, and people are indie for a variety of different reasons, some by choice because they have an ethos and a spirit and they want to maintain control or whatever it is. Some people not by choice, they don't have access to platforms or what they do is, is niche or genre and the mainstream platforms aren't interested in them. Um, and some people have been turned away. And so, and, and, and quite frankly, some people choose to go a different path and that's okay too, because maybe the, the incumbent, the mainstream incumbents offer things like what I would call banking services or marketing platforms. And I don't necessarily begrudge an artist who avails themselves of that because it might be in alignment with their aspiration. Um, they might want to be a global superstar um, and that's maybe a faster path for them. But I think you have to really know what you want and it will guide the rest of your decisions. Do I wanna take a big check up front in exchange for maybe sacrificing optionality later? Or do I have the way to bootstrap on my own and I don't need your money. Therefore, I can take more on the back end. Um, I think some of the artists that have really been great at that in the last 10 years or so are really from the hip hop world, right? Like a Frank Ocean oh, or yeah. a Tyler Creator. Um, those artists are so entrepreneurial, 
but they they bank on themselves and i think that's a really powerful notion it's something that a lot of artists don't do they're 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 conditioned to be driven by fear or by the idea that there's not going to be a next opportunity and i think the artists that can that can break that mindset and gamble on themselves um are the ones that are are best positioned fantastic perspective lawrence Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for being a good sport throughout this interview. And thank you for all that you do in this industry. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Well, thank you for offering your platform. It's great to be here. It's great to meet both of you. And I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Right on. Our thanks to Lawrence Purrier for joining us this week. Our thanks to Mike Ryan Ruiz as well. My thanks to you, Lauren, for keeping this uh, crazy show on the rails. I know it was madness with the two uh, guests and everything. You did a great job. Our guest next week, worth mentioning, William Goldstein, acclaimed composer, is going to be joining us. That one's going to be phenomenal, a not-miss episode for sure. Um, Lots of great, amazing guests ahead, uh, and you get to uh, somehow keep all of it uh, moving, Lauren. I don't envy your task. I love it, and I love all of you. It's so much fun. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have everybody here. Thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.